This is Up for Debate Presents Shaken, Not Stirred, Six Decades of James Bond in Film. Tonight, episode number 144, recorded April 25th, 2019. Chapter 5, Lazenby, Dalton, and a Retired Connery. Vistas of sweeping splendor. Different. It must be so if he's in the picture. Fabulous beauties. All of them dolls. Every one different. They've got to be when he's around. My name's Bond. James Bond. The new Bond. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. The different 007. Telly Savalas as Blofeld. A new destructive force. With the difference, if my demands are not met, I shall proceed with a systematic extinction of whole species of cereals and livestock all over the world. Gabriel Fazzetti as Draco, a tough mafia daddy with a problem child. Papa, where's James? Don't worry, you'll join us soon. But we can't leave him. He doesn't need your help. I will not go without you. You'll have to. On the day you marry her, I'll give you a personal dowry of one million pounds. Oh, oh. 007 times more exciting than your wildest dreams. Sean Connery is James Bond, Agent 007. Never say never again. My name is Bond. Oh, you're Mr. Bond. I believe I'm having you in half an hour. Oh, splendid. Your room or mine. Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull around here. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. The name that means excitement is back. He lives on the edge. Whoever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights. How many times can one man leave you breathless? When you get on his bad side, your number is up. Timothy Dalton is James Bond, 007. License to kill. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this continuing saga of Up for Debate Presents. I am Sean Jennings, joined, as always, by our own uh, forgotten Bond, Matt Mariani. Don't you usually, Sean, don't you usually come up with, like, some kind of combination of all the titles of the movies we've we've seen normally we do but but so, the, but the way it's formatted it's usually roger moore in blank 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 but because we have so many bonds well why don't you just combine their names well i could do the movies i mean it's, roger so it would be roger lazenby uh Dalton, roger lazenby dalton who's totally sounds like a person roger lazenby dalton in should we do it together? Her, Her Majesty Never Say Living to Kill. Much better. Thank you. There you go. Yes. Now we are. Uh, well, the funny thing is, th- those titles are only uh, in the episodes themselves because the the actual like title on the podcast feed and on YouTube and stuff, you're limited to 100 characters 
on those services for titles, which I didn't know because that's never happened to me before. But as soon as you type in up for debate, number 144, shaken, not stirred, six decades of James Bond in film, chapter five. This, by the time you get to the end, I end up never getting to include my fun titles because I've run out of characters. Oh, that's a shame. That is a shame. It's tragic. But Matt, we have got, it's chapter five. We continue on. We're past the halfway point and we have got an eclectic episode tonight. The leftover bonds, uh, the ones you've forgotten, uh, including uh, George Lazenby, Timothy Dalton, and because we didn't have to watch enough Bond movies, we had to add one more, uh, the retired Connery and the non-canon Never Say Never Again. Um, Matt, you are really going to have to help me out this episode. Because coming into this, I've already just said this, but I've pretty much watched very few of the Bond movies. But I, you know of these guys from pop culture. You know Sean Connery as Bond, Roger Moore is, but you know they're kind of reputations as Bonds, right? Daniel Craig's the serious Bond, and Sean Connery's the womanizer Bond, and you kind of get the gist of it. I knew nothing. I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. If you had put a book in front of me, I couldn't have done it of these guys, of Lazenby and of Dalton. Because they're just yeah. made absolutely no impact on popular culture. I mean, um, Lazenby was in a lot of movies post-Bond. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll get to that when we talk about about Her Majesty's. Uh, but I don't remember. I don't think I've seen any of them. And I don't remember any of them. And I don't think any of them... I don't think any of them left like a major cultural impact. I could be wrong. But uh, Dalton... Uh, yeah, no, Dalton was pretty much just in those two Bond movies. Um, I know him from uh, he made it. He made a, a uh, not really a cameo. He played a main role on the movie Hot Fuzz. You ever seen Hot Fuzz? Great movie. Uh, really funny Simon Pegg movie. He plays um, well, not not to not to give anything away, but he play he plays a main character, definitely a, a crucial role on that. He's actually really funny, which I think was kind of ironic because. Um, he, a lot of people know him as the serious bond. I think they, I think they kind of know Craig as like the gritty bond. Although, although Dalton was pretty gritty too. They were, they're, they're, they both kind of mirror each other. They complement each other in a lot of ways. But I, a lot of the times, like, I think jokes that were written, Dalton's delivery is just not, is not as like funny as Moore's or, or charming as Connery's, um, at least that's that's what that's what I what, what I realized through this this watch through, but I'll do my best to try to to help you out. Um, an advantage we have going in here is that um, in that wonderful book you gave me, I just finished the um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service chapter. So uh, I turns out in a, in a bizarre twist, tragically, I did not take notes for that movie. Oh, but but I I did just read that chapter. And, uh, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's good enough where I I think I can remember everything. I have notes for all the other movies though. So I think we should be, we should be in good shape. Well then let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's start with, uh, we're going to do these chronologically on her majesty's secret service, 1969, this film, uh, Sean Connery announces he's retiring from the role of bond, um, after, uh, you only live twice. And so, um, or no, I'm sorry. After, Thunderball. Diamonds Are Forever was his last Bond movie. No, but I mean, before on Her Majesty's Secret Service, he did You Only Live Twice, and oh, then Connery said he yeah. was retiring, um, causing them to My go out. My mind is still gone, never say never again. There are just too many damn Bond movies, to be honest. <laughs> um, 
And so uh, they had to go and find a new actor, bringing in George Lazenby in this film. Budget of $7 million, made $82 million at the box office. Uh, his one and only Bond film. His one and only, he, he announced during the filming that it was going to be his one and only film. Didn't think Bond could survive into the 70s and didn't want didn't to destroy the role. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for that, I mean, from what I read in, in that book, um, that you gave me, uh, a lot of that had to do with the, uh, lack of control that he felt. He, he basically felt like, uh, Saltzman and Broccoli were, uh, kind of shoehorning him into a, uh, a contract that, Basically, he would only be Bond for the rest of his life. Oh yeah, and big, felt, big long contracts. He really felt trapped by that. It was a big. I think it was. It was. If I'm not mistaken, he was. He was signed on for at least another. Oh, wow. It was like it was. It was a big number. It was. It was like was it, surprising. Was it seven? Seven's the number seven that comes. To yeah, mind. seven is where my mind went. Yeah. I didn't want to be wrong, so I didn't say it. <laughs> well, we'll but be I, wrong yes. together. <laughs> seven was around where my mind went. Where he was signed on for at least another seven Bond films, which pretty much would put him into that. Now they also tried to, they tried to soften that when they found out that he kind of was re- going to renege a little bit and they tried to like, um, I think broccoli approached him and said, well, you know, you can play, um, you can play other roles in between. Like you can do a year of bond, then take a year off to play in a different movie, mm-hmm. whatever, and then come back and be bond. Like it doesn't have to be seven right in a row, but he still didn't, he didn't like it. And he, so he walked, he walked away. Um, and from what I understand, Lazenby was pretty much a free spirit from the very beginning. Um, he, uh, he kind of came from Australia. So he was, he was the only, he's the only non-British Bond to the only non-British actor to play Bond. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's from Australia. He, uh, it was kind of an outsider to the whole movie business. He had never been in a movie before. Um, he actually lied on his uh, his interview uh, and basically like made up a story of all these movies that he's been in that he just was not a part in. Um, so he was an outsider from day one. He was kind of like a like a rogue guy, and I guess that 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 some people found that really charming and very Bond esque. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of George Lazenby as Bond as a whole? Oh boy, you know this movie. You know. God, that's a good-looking glass of wine. Um, Prosecco. God, oh, damn it, I love Prosecco. I'm so jealous. Uh, hey, it was eight bucks at Aldi. You have an Aldi by you? I don't. I don't. Did it? Does it taste yeah. like eight bucks? Uh, no, actually, no, it doesn't. It tastes like 18 bucks. Ah, that's, that's the Aldi promise. <laughs> um, George Lazenby. You know, I kind of felt bad watching this movie because if you think about it, He's the guy who starred in the fewest number of Bond films. One. Mm-hmm. One film. At least Dalton got two, right? And so if I think, if I had judged Roger Moore on his first Bond movie, Live and Let Die, I would have said he was a bad Bond, right? Right. I think given more time and experience in the role, I think he would have worked out as a good Bond. However... In this film, I thought he was fine. He wasn't bad. He was fine. He did it. 
<laughs> he did it. That's about as far as I can get. So on, he gets a participation it. trophy. Yeah, yeah, he the gets Gene he gets Bond a, participation trophy. He gets a check for completing the movie, but not a check plus. No, Just definitely a not a check plus. But not a check minus. No, no, a check. He did it. You know, it's check. like a pass okay. fail. He passed. You did it. Right. You he did you, not you fail. You filled it out. You completed it. Good. Yes. Good for you. I don't know. That that's um, the best I can muster for him. Okay. Yeah, I I think I would have agreed with you prior to my rewatch. Rewatching it? I think he actually did really good. Okay. I would give him a check plus. Well, but um, again, what's your grading curve, right? Are you coming at this as right. a guy who's never acted I, before and basically never acted again? And well, I think yeah, given well, given that criteria, I think he did a hell of a job on this. Um, I think his his bond was believable. I think it was um, it was heartfelt. A lot of that, the writing helped him out on this one because this was a very this was a very serious Bond movie. Oh yeah. Um, at least in terms of the themes going on here. Shockingly character driven. Yes. Very it was extremely character driven. Yeah. Um but I think, yeah, was he my favorite Bond? No, definitely not. Not even in the top three. But um I think if there were more movies, if Lazenby had done just even one more movie after this, I I, I could easily see it. I could see I him being agree. up there. I agree. Um I just think it's because he was just a one and done. A lot of this this well, movie gets kind of pushed under the rug a lot. Although it was a, it was a it was a box office sensation when it came out. It was a it was a a, a hot hot ticket. Well, and it again, made a lot this, of money. This was in the middle of the Connery run, right? So you know you're kind of just dipping into Lazenby in real Mania. quick, and you're in and out. You know, yeah. Um, but but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is this is a radically not, okay, maybe radically is not fair. This is a different film. I mean, it really is in that, first of all, it's shot differently. Uh, director Peter Hunt, who uh, never directed another Bond, this is his only Bond as well, um, shot very differently in that the film gets kind of sped up and slowed down a lot. The fight scenes are shot very differently. It, a lot more kind of close-ups and artsy shots versus the kind of wide shots we're used to in these movies. Um, it really looks and feels different from the other Bond films. Sometimes I think that works to the advantage of the movie. Sometimes I think it works to the disadvantage. To me, the part that worked best was... The part that worked best was sort of where they tweaked... You know, up to this point, Bond is a template, right? The same stuff happens in the same order every movie. And they kind of tweaked it a little bit by bringing in the sort of overarching love story. Mm-hmm. Bringing in the... Um, bringing in... Um, uh, what uh, What's his name? The I, We watch these movies, it feels like, so long ago. Uh, Tracy's father, Mark Ainge Draco. Bringing in Draco, yes. I thought, Draco. As, as kind of an ancillary character, I thought was a really good decision. Um, on the other hand, what didn't work for me, and I think you're going to disagree. I, and I wrote in my notes, I have it right here. Bond falling in love equals gross (laughs) is what I have in my notes as much as I liked. And and I thought, by the way, Diana Rigg as Tracy, I thought she was very good in this. Um, I didn't like them falling in love in the movie. It was weird. There's a montage in the movie 
over the Louis Armstrong song where they fall in, they go through the whole, they go from just meeting to marriage in about a minute and a half of screen time. It felt wildly unearned. Yeah. So the, the pacing of that was very awkward. Uh, I don't have notes for this movie, but if I did, I probably would have written that. (laughs) Pacing, the pacing for the romance between Bond and Tracy was awkward. Um, I definitely disagree with you about, uh, the, the romance being gross. I think that it was, it was actually the, that opinion said, um, that the romance was gross. That was the opinion that I had when I watched this movie for the first time Mm -hmm. when I was like 12. Mm -hmm. Like I thought it was like, yeah, that's about right. Bond falling in love. That's gross. Like, um, but looking back, like watching it again for the second time, I, I, I thought it was, it was a, it was a neat. It, it added so much depth to the character of Bond um, by making him ma- – I mean it, it made him more – it made him more human almost. It made him like – like we, we – I mean I remember we talked about in all the Connery movies how, how he was like a gross, disgusting – like he, he – he, you know, he was, a, he was an extreme womanizer but he took it to like the next level, like almost like a creep level mm-hmm. like factor. Um, it definitely was not OK but – on on her majesty's like you actually see like a like a tender side to bond that i at the, i mean when i was younger i thought uh, it's bond like why would he have a tender side he's supposed to be like badass and stuff but it was kind of nice to, as an adult to see that i thought that it was it was a very mature side of him um and especially uh how where that goes like the path that that takes was very it was very um well written and well conceived, I think, for a Bond movie. I'm I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there, which doesn't happen often on the show. But I, I'm I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there because, first of all, the relationship start by her father offering a million pound check to marry her. Well, that's in the book. So so defense well, doesn't make it okay. Yeah, just because it's um, in the book. And I get that Bond doesn't accept the check. Okay, but still, it's like. The thing is, I I agree with you that Bond being a more caring person is a good turn for the character. I think the idea of him falling in love and getting married is a bad idea. That's the part that I don't like. The, The wedding idea breaks everything you know about this character. Yeah. It it truly does. And even the and we haven't gotten into this yet, and we'll touch on it on Timothy Dalton tonight, and we'll really get into it with Daniel Craig. I think one of the areas where you and I are going to disagree the absolute most in this whole series, I don't like serious real person Bond. I don't yeah, like and it. And I do. And I, I so, and that's great. And more power to you, buddy. But I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is mm. Bond having a real life is weird. He's supposed to be the action well, guy. He's not going to have like a nine to five job. He's not like he's going to retire and sit behind a desk. He's getting Nobody's married. What do you think? He's still going to be that. out sleeping with women all around the world. He's married now. I mean, he's Bond. He might. <laughs> he might still like. He's just. I mean, Does that come with the imagine job? how messed up that's going to be. Like explaining to to his future wife. I don't. I don't really buy the whole settling down one. Uh, I I think that the Daniel Craig version. Now you haven't seen Casino Royale. I, won't I have actually seen it. Casino Royale. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't didn't... remember a ton of it. I remember my feelings about it. All right. So when we when we flash forward to when we when we talk about Casino Royale, I'm gonna have a different opinion about Bond's relationship in that movie. 
which is similar in a lot of ways to Honor Majesty's, although they do they do deviate that in in very good, uh, like I think a very very profound way. But an Honor Majesty's, like I, I I don't see this Bond like retiring and becoming boring after he gets married. I see this Bond as like still kicking ass and yeah. taking names. The, Although, like he may, he may just have to lay off the womanizing part. But when they, I mean, of course, now we know, given the ending, that's not the direction it goes in. But well, when they get caught in the snowstorm and they go into the the apparently very warm and secure abandoned barn, um, and they're having sexy time on the cots and they're talking about buying the place and settling down, and it's like this is. You you made a romance film. You didn't make a Bond film. Like if this didn't say James Bond on it, and you're like the the through line of the movie is ultra super secret spy who is a womanizer learns to fall in love. <laughs> that's a good movie. It's not a Bond movie. Uh, all right. So I think the the thing was though they had source material to work I with. I know. And, and in in the in the source material he does get married. And I didn't to hate this it. Girl. I didn't Tracy. hate it. Let me be clear. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I thought they handled it well. It's just not the kind of thing I look for in a Bond movie. Uh, now, I uh, want to make sure we get to some of the other stuff in the film as well. Um, yeah. I thought there was some other really good stuff that happened. Um, I thought we got to give we got to give mad props to Telly Savalas as Blofeld, who yeah. I thought was awesome he i think he's the best blofeld diamonds are forever blofeld is pretty good too who is that that was um uh the the actor was charles gray yeah charles gray he's the he's the blofeld that i that i kind of always envision in my head he's the poster the poster boy but i thought i just thought the, the like this blofeld was devious like or he just seemed like a like a true villain whereas he was believable yeah, whereas Gray can be kind of like there was that part where they had him in drag and they like yes. and there was the, like the cloning one. He's a little more like boisterous and mm-hmm. like like kind of like um I'm I'm trying to think of the the actor's name. Christoph Waltz. Yes. His his future Blofeld spoilers, but his future <laughs> when he plays Blofeld in a, in a future movie that we will not name uh for the sake of spoilers. Uh he um he was very boy he was very much like a John Gray type. I thought, um, like, yeah, just more like, Ooh, it's me. I'm Blofeld. Although that com- that, that's a reveal that only comes in the third act of the movie. Although given the name and title of the movie, you could see it coming a mile away. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, I, I like him. I like Savari. How about, yeah, give it up for, um, I thought it was great. And I love throughout the whole movie. Um, one of my, fa- I made a note of this. He points with his cigarette at people for emphasis and he points at them with a the cigarette. And I'm like, what a, this is the man, the sixties. This is awesome. 69. Yeah. Telly Savalas. Come on. You got to love it. I'll, I'll put it this way. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, Telly Savalas actually like frightened me as Blofeld. Like I, he was believable. He yes. was a more believable Blofeld oh, yeah. for me. Yeah. For my money. But yeah, for whatever reason in my head, I always see, uh, I always see gray as the, uh, the Blofeld, the iconic, figure. sure. The iconic Blofeld. Sure. So, uh, yeah, he, he really killed it. Um, I forgot about the scene. Oh boy. And if I, if I had notes, Sean, I would have written, <laughs> I would have written a, a whole bunch of notes on this one. You remember the part where, and the, I, I say scene, but it's really like a third of the movie. No exaggeration there. 
where Bond is pretending to be a, her- her- a heraldry expert. Yes. Named named uh, Sir, what was it? Sir, er- Ernest Hillary or something. Uh, it was Sir Hillary Bray. Sir Hillary Bray. Oh my <laughs> and god! He puts on that stupid, stupid accent. <laughs> oh my god! It goes on forever. That's like it's like you think it's going to be in one scene and then it's going to be done, but no, he's still like for probably like three combined scenes. He's oh, doing yeah. the stupid accent. It was awesome. And pretending to be this character. I love it. And I think as I was watching it, I was just like, damn, like we're definitely going to talk about this on the podcast. So, But that did lead to something I really liked, which was when – because he's kind of trapped in in what is, by the way, an awesome bad guy lair up on top of the mountain, which by the way is a real rotating restaurant you can actually go to. Yeah. Which is Yeah, they talk about that in the book, which was pretty neat. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. Or not. Um, but the uh, what I loved is when he when he breaks out of his room and he goes to meet the girls to have sexy time, and he right. meets the one girl and he kind of uses the pickup lines with her and and kind of seduces her. Then he goes to the other room to the other girl and uses the exact same set of lines, which I love yeah. when movies do that. Those kind of little it's tricks where you know you, you're just reminded of kind of the cheese and the sort of oh it's a movie he can get away with this type stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I liked, uh, I liked their little special effects too, with the ceiling going all all crazy. Oh, whoa. He's hypnotizing them, which was also a, um, a plot point in the book. Although I don't know if it was done in the exact same way, but that was also a a theme in the book. This plot, this villain plot is pretty, um, pretty out there. I'll say. Yeah, let's talk about it. So Blofeld is, Blofeld is running an allergy institute is sort of the cover and by doing that, he gets a dozen women from all over the world to come in to help fix their allergies. What's actually happening is they're being brainwashed by Blofeld to uh, obey his commands and take back with them to their corners of the globe the virus Omega, um, which is a uh, special virus that is coded to kill a certain thing. So, for example, uh, kind of one of the main angels of death uh, Ruby is the girl suffering from an allergy to chickens, and I suppose the theory is that if Blofeld wanted, the virus she took would kill all the chickens. And that was kind of the joke, is that each girl, like one girl um, was allergic. I'm trying to think of some of the other allergies that were there. But it was all, you could kind of tell what they were kind of getting at, was it was all the different livestock from around the world and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, it's similar in the book. In the book, it's an agricultural virus. I don't know if it if it codes to specific uh, specific th- or if it's just like in general, it's it infects like like farm animals and plants and stuff. So it's it's yeah, it's a dastardly plot. I don't know what he. This is just basically like eco terrorism. Yeah, I don't know what his. I don't really know what what is he trying to achieve by this. Like, there, is there like a usually usually with Spectre, it's like get, do. Give us this, like give us X, or we're gonna do Y. But I, what is the like consequence here? Or is he just trying to stir up shit? I don't know. I thought there, ah, boy, my memory is failing me. I thought there was a blackmail element. I thought he was gonna blackmail somebody to get money so he wouldn't do it. Kind of like the Thunderball nuclear missile concept. Um, but I can't say for hundred percent whether or not that's true. That's just what I'm remembering. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if there because yeah, there's like you said, there's usually a blackmail ex, um, 
a blackmail like plot. Yeah. Some kind of goal. I don't but, think he uh, was doing it just to be a dick. Yeah, but I mean you don't know. This is Blofeld we're yeah, talking about. He this is, is a lunatic. Yeah. He's also probably really pissed off by now because Bond keeps thwarting his plan. So maybe this is like his time for revenge or something. Although it's great because in this movie he acts like he's never met Bond before. Yeah, that that was really the continuity wide open. But he absolutely knew it was Bond. Like, I think he I think he knew. I, I, I don't know. That's the way that I watch the film is like he's playing along. Like you're, oh, you're, you think you're, you're this like heraldry expert. Well, I, in my mind, he always knew it was Bond. Well, do, do you know the maybe story it's, behind maybe it? Maybe it's just Savaris's kind of delivery of everything, but. Do you know the story behind that? It's, it's, um, Blofeld doesn't recognize Bond despite having met him face to face in the previous You Only Live Twice. In the original script of this movie, Bond undergoes plastic surgery to disguise him from his enemies to write out that sort of logic flaw. I did hear that. However, this is my own head. It was dry. No, no, no. I'm, I think that's yeah. better than what actually happened, in, which is they just ignored that as a plot. In my head canon, he, I think he always knew it was bond. He was just waiting for like the opportune moment. You I know like how that. The villain usually like spoils the plan to bond, like a la gold, go, uh, Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in my own head canon, he always knew it was bond. He was just waiting for like a dramatic moment to, to kind of capture him and, and, and reveal it. But, um, yeah. So how does, I was about to say, how does Bond stop Blofeld in the end? I get, he stops his plan. Like he messes the plan up, but oh, yeah. he doesn't stop Blofeld because Blofeld is the one in the end that does in his wife. Right. Yes. So what happens is there's that great down the mountain chase, including the bobsled, which I thought was really excellently uh, shot and performed. Um, and includes one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, which is one of the bad guy skiers falls into a snowblower and the snowblower starts shooting out red and his guts, which was hilarious. Yes, that was very well done. That scene totally uh, unnecessary. They, they actually had, uh, I think for that scene, they had an Olympic skier. Yes, that was, that was filmed like, uh, I think filled in for Lazenby. Yeah, and they um, on the bobsled as well. They had Olympic skier. bobsledders as well. Yes, and Olympic bobsledders. Um, something that's worth mentioning: uh, one per, there was one person that I learned about while through the, doing research for this movie. Um, not for the, the, just this whole podcast, mm-hmm. and I never knew about him before. But he has become like a personal, like a personal hero, um, and he makes his triumphant return for this movie. Uh, and that person is. Uh, the cameraman. Yes. That loses his, that lost his leg, lost his foot rather for what is his name? He's got like a, like a cool name. Johnny Uh, Jordan. Johnny Jordan. Yes. I, all right. Yeah. I I actually almost said John Jordanson. Yeah. (laughs) Close. Yeah. The, the reverse though. Yeah. John, Johnny Jordan. Um, Camera aerial aerial cameraman Johnny Jordan, who loses his foot when they film um, "You Only Live Twice," mm-hmm. uh, get tragically gets cut off in a uh, a rotor accident, a helicopter rotor. Um, he comes back and film. I thought this was awesome. He filmed this movie 
Uh, he filmed especially the, the particularly that that like very famous iconic uh, skiing chase down the mountain. Uh, and he became like a local legend in Switzerland. Apparently, he was like much celebrated by the the local community. And I thought that was kind of neat. I, I had never known about this guy um, until we did this podcast. So I'm learning. Oh yeah, I'm learning a lot about the Bond lore. It really yeah. is a fun fact. Pour one out for uh, for Johnny Jordan. Um, and yeah, so Blofeld gets his neck caught in a tree, which we think kills him. But you're right, Matt. We have to talk about the end of this movie before we move on. Um, Bond thinks he's killed Blofeld. He goes back, marries Tracy in a fabulous wedding ceremony, uh, refuses to take the million-dollar check. They are headed off on their honeymoon in the Aston Martin. Oh, I, I do like how in the wedding, uh, Money Penny is in the crowd, like crying. Oh, like, she's so beat up. her eyes out. I thought that was a nice touch. Tragic. Like, yeah. The end is the end of her little tryst, if you could call it that. <laughs> whatever, whatever you would call it. Her infatuation. Uh, and so as they're driving away, um, he pulls over the car and who drives by in a, in a tragic drive-by shooting? It is Blofeld and um, uh, uh, Irma. Irma, who's yes. also pretty good in this movie, mm. I thought. Um, and Blofeld is in like a neck brace and his arms in a sling from his accident. And Irma pulls a gun and kills Tracy, the the woman Bond just married. Right. Most people, I, I guess, they overlook this, it, or at least maybe they make it more clear in the book. They were trying to kill Bond. Uh, yes. The, the wife was just collateral damage, I guess. Um, I, I think that th this, this part in particular really drives home the humanity of Bond. Like, this is the one moment, the one moment that you'll ever see Bond lets his guard down. Okay? This is like the one and the, and the worst possible thing happens a as a result or the worst possible outcome for him. Uh, I think it's it's a very human moment because it's right after his wedding nuptials. He's thinking that he's on top of the world and that like nothing could touch him or his his new wife, and yet it like tragedy strikes in that moment and it's it's very it's very serious and very um it's very heavy for a bomb. Oh movie. god, yes. I, I don't I don't think they had ever tackled a like a heavy thing like this. There's gonna be a lot of heavy moments in the in the other movies we talk about tonight too. License to kill, especially. But um yeah, this is this is pretty serious stuff. This is definitely not your like roundabout Roger Moore like octopus. this is not octopussy. You know, this is not a is not um Moonraker or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. This is this is a hard hit and real deal. So um, I did read a fun, the more light on the lighthearted note. Uh, I read in the book the uh, the quote quote from Lazenby is that the um, who's the actress that played Tracy? Oh, that was of course uh, the great Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg, yeah. So he said Diana during that scene, Diana was biting his leg. Like to, I guess to try to get him to cry. Mm -hmm. Like she, she like bit down like really hard. And he said that like he didn't, he actually, all those emotions were genuine because having read the book, he, he actually was surprised. Like that was a twist that he didn't see coming. And he said he was actually like kind of emotionally gripped by that. But I just, I think it's funny. Like 
that you know if you rewatch that scene again you like you know that 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 dead person is biting that guy's leg it's like it's funny yeah i mean i thought it was well acted um i did think it was a bummer of a way to end the movie um, it is a bummer unfortunately Uh, it ends in, on a very sad note, sure. In, interestingly enough, uh, the original plan was actually to have her survive this movie and be murdered in the pre-credit sequence of Diamonds Are Forever. They changed that when Raz- Lazenby quit the role um, and decided just to kind of wrap up Lazenby's tenure uh, with this rather than have her be killed sitting next to the, you know, Sean Connery. That'd be an interesting... Uh, it'd be interesting given... You know the last the last thing that Bond says the last line in the movie is what we all what we have all the time in the world yeah and for a movie like a movie called Diamonds Are Forever it's I guess that theme of eternity going on but yeah that that's another quote that is taken directly from the book it's the last line in the book it's the last line in the movie um, it's also written on the tombstone of yes. uh, Bond's wife uh, which you see in. Um, is it diamonds or it's the pre, yeah, it's the pre-credit scene to, um, no, much later. No, no, it's when he, it's where it's when he drops, uh, when he drops Blofeld in the, in the thing for your eyes only or view to a view to I a wa- kid. I want to say I'm looking back in my notes now. Cause I definitely know I wrote it down. Uh, I think it's for your eyes only. Yes. For your eyes only. Yes. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's good. I think they were they were very truthful to the to the source material here. Um, it's just a shame that that Lazenby. I think it's a shame that Lazenby only had one shot at it. I think he could have mm. if, if they had made one or two more movies. I think he would be right up there with with your Moore or your Connery. In terms I of disagree with that. I think he would have gotten better. I think he would have been just fine. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Matt, we're, we, we're chugging through time here, so we got to continue on to our next film. Uh, it's technically not canon, uh, but we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> it is the 80s, and Sean Connery is back. Uh, he's picking up his Walter PPK, coming out of retirement and starring in Never Say Never Again, 1983, uh, box office $160 million. This one, not considered canon, uh, directed by Irvin Kirshner. And you're saying, gosh, that name sounds really familiar. Well, that's because uh, he directed The Empire Strikes Back, RoboCop 2. I don't know why I picked that. That wasn't really a memorable (laughs) film. He did other more interesting movies than that. Um, Empire is, I think, all you need to say. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, That's uh, enough of a resume right there. Very famous and talented director. Um, this one, as a result, we're not getting into too much of the legalese of it, um, resulting in a long legal battle um, that came about surrounding Thunderball, uh, the, the Thunderball storyline. Um, right. This was um, this is pretty much a rehash of Thunderball, if you, you know will, what, like a kind of or just a redone movie. You know um, what's so funny? most part yeah i wrote in my notes Mm -hmm. i wrote first i wrote isn't this spa the spa the isn't this spa (laughs) opening the same as thunderball and then like a couple notes later and i wrote at the 30 minute mark i'm so embarrassed the 30 minute mark of the movie i wrote wait is this whole movie the plot of thunderball so <laughs> should I because I try not to read anything before seeing the movies. And so I had no idea. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait, what? Sean, you want to know a way that I think that the, the directors could have made this better? Uh, is every single time they make a direct reference to something that happened in Thunderball, 
the character like looks directly at the camera and and either winks or does some kind of like Nods eyebrow wet ways yeah. or yeah and then all the characters turn and look at the camera and then it just goes to the next scene so for example in that opening scene right the the movie opens up with a um uh bond like doing his usual bond thing running around although they have the theme song they don't they don't have the iconic spyglass thing yep. bond shooting the the circle because that's trademarked and um they they don't have a like a lengthy uh title sequence with a song and everything but they it, do have a the, terrible theme song yes they have a terrible theme song oh, that awful. sounds like elevator music that they play while bond is like in a crucial action scene which would never happen in any other bond movie but anyway it all it's all revealed to be a training sequence when connery gets uh like stabbed in the side by by uh one of the women the women the one of the women that the woman that he saves in the training sequence. Yep. Um, and then M, who is played by her. I wrote in my notes here that uh, the, the the actor they got to play M is is annoying and kind of a dick. Oh, he is for sure a dick. Like, he, like he literally every line he says is just him being really condescending and shitty to Bond. Yep. Like, like, like ridiculing what he says. It was almost like a like was that a I wonder if that was like a caricature of what like the director thought M was was like but M was never that whiny and like annoying like and and the the actor Bert, um Sam was it Sam Bertrand the actor who played M in uh in the Connery movies and the Moore movies was an alcoholic and, and he was never as nasty as this this guy so I don't yeah, know what his deal was. He think, always just was on edge. I think part of it, and they tried to write this throughout the whole movie, is that Bond in this movie is old. Bond in this movie is should retire. Bond, and I think that's partly, it's kind of like, okay, we're now in the 80s. The 60s stuff doesn't fly anymore. The the double O program isn't needed. I think that's kind of the attitude they were going through through throughout the film and i think that's where m was coming from as well it's like i've been put in charge of this program and i don't think we need it anymore um and i don't think we need you anymore james bond you're just an old man who gets stabbed <laughs> in the practice round sure yeah I, I guess it's but i guess it but it's also a it's a convenient way to get him into the health spa right yes and and that was the moment that i envisioned when he suggests like we suggest you go to this health spa yeah, clear your toxins i yeah I, I just imagine him like looking at the camera and being like you know where this is going the funny thing is i didn't that's what bothered me most it, it was way after that that i realized it so yeah well I mean, <laughs> um while they're at the health spa mm -hmm. um i i did think I, I had a couple of thoughts when 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 connery was doing his thing there I thought he looked better in this movie than he did in Diamonds. To me, he looked – I don't know what it was about Diamonds. He looked like tired or burned out or something. You know what it was? Throughout the whole movie. I agree with you. But he's older here, but he, I thought he looked better. Yeah. I, I think it's because this movie is shot different. I don't think he – I think as a human being, I don't think he necessarily looked better. But I think this movie was more brightly lit. Um. Then Diamonds Are Forever, a lot of which takes place indoors or at night. This one is a little bit brighter. Um, and I think the hair and makeup is a little bit better in this. I just, I agree with you, but I think it's more of the filmmaking that that lends itself to that. The movie magic? The, the magic of movies. This is a very movies. bright film. There's, there, this is like a lot, there's a lot of day, daytime scenes. Oh, yeah. 
That's that's definitely possible. I don't know. I just something about him. He looked like even, but it was even the delivery though, not just the appearance. I think he the way he delivered his lines just seemed like he had more confidence or or. Maybe I think a lot of a lot of it had to do with his time away from oh, uh, sure. from the from the role. Well, from and the he had done other movies he had and done other mixed movies, it up, exactly. and, and and he also got paid three million dollars a percentage of profits and casting and script approval to star in this. So I'd be a, in a Which good mood as well. Got made. Yeah, let's be real here. They weren't going to make it with anybody other than Connery. Nobody other than Connery was ever really considered seriously. Um, what was interesting was that so for On Her Majesty's. I don't know if you know this, but um, one of the things that they suggested Lazenby do uh, because of the of the era, the time period, they, they suggested that he grow his hair out. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted him to kind of be like a more hippie kind of bond, um, which I guess explains the trippy lights and stuff, but um, – and the casual sex, although that's just bond, but um, they wanted him to be more – yeah, basically like, like more uh, – hip with the with the like the youth movement i guess mm-hmm. you could say um and never say never again i think this that's like kind of a kind of they go the opposite route it's like connery connery is is the exact same bond that he was oh uh, yeah he doesn't change at all he is like the most bond that i would he argue ever. he's even flirtier in this movie yes he is he is turns on the charm to 11 um and and in a classic way, like the classic Bond way, um, he, the, he I think he wears he wears more like suits and and like or, or not not as many suits as he did. It's more like the collared shirt kind of retired Bond look. But uh, yeah, country club Bond, it's great. Yes, country club Bond, exactly. Um, how funny was it that part where he throws the pee in that guy's face? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns like he throws the thing, and it turns out to be his own urine. I love I, that. Scene. I I actually did think that was funny. I did think that was funny. I give him credit for that. Yes, I love that scene. I I always loved it. But you know that fight and all the other hand to hand stuff reminds me that I don't think it's. I think Sean Connery should have been double billed on the poster with his stunt double, who does about half the acting in this movie. Um, you can tell Connery not very involved in the stunts on this one. No, not at all. I mean, he was pushing what. Seven? How old no. do you? No, honestly, I have how the number. How it? old do you think? Take a guess. At the time of filming, how old was he? Like, I, I would say, I would say six. All right. So there are no was, wrong answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to do a little mental math here. No, don't do math. Just from visually, from just take a guess. All right. If I if I had never seen any of the prior Bond movies, I I would probably say he was like sixty three. He was fifty two. Okay. He's lived a hard life, <laughs> a hard rock yeah, and roll life. That's up there. He has. He has indeed. I mean, I'm trying to think of between. Oh yeah, that would that would make any sense. That would mean he was like today. He was. He would be like in his mid 90s. He was in a lot of movies between these two. Zardos right? speaks to you. <laughs> yes, I love Zardos. We should watch that for the Classic. show. Um, no, Hunt for Rod October, The Untouchables. Yep. He won an Academy Award. He did best supporting actor, and then he came back. Yeah, so he, I, yeah, I think this was this was like his swan. He knew it was his swan yeah, song. You take the check. Yeah, Get exactly. Of interesting that's places. So that's a lot of it's a lot of uh, vodka martinis. We'll say. Um, but I will say overall, Matt. Boy, this is kind of a messy film 
for me. Con- considering, yeah. and what's crazy is considering I've already seen this movie before in Thunderball, it shouldn't be. But I wrote, well, I wrote in my notes. I said people keep showing up, and I have no idea who they are or why they're here. <laughs> like stuff just happened. Well, why? Why I thought it was so weird was be I wrote seems like everybody is only doing things because it has to be a Thunderball remake because the script tells like, them to yeah right like that the part where they go scuba diving yeah right it's like well this is a Thunderball so we should go scuba diving uh that oh your brother is dead because it's Thunderball which by the way that delivery nice nice when he's dancing with uh with with the domino and 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 he's just like your brother's dead Wow. Yeah. Worse. I thought the I thought the beach reveal in Thunderball was bad. This was worse. This, well, no, I think the beach reveal was still worse because he has a little hanky panky with her first mm-hmm. and then tells her, which is really a horrible, horrible thing to do when you think about it. But this was still pretty this was just very casual. It was just very nonchalant. Almost like you're telling her like uh you're telling her like, you know, I, I had steak for dinner. Oh, your brother's dead. It's like that was just well, nice, great. That's awesome. Casual. Keep it, keep it, keep it casual bond. But yeah, the thing is that, yeah, everybody seemed like they were just going through the motions and just going about the script because it had to be Thunderball and they had to like, it would have been nice if they had thrown a wrench in it somehow and made it like, like you think it's going to be Thunderball, but then all of a sudden something different or crazy happens. I guess when they go to North Africa, that's when it gets a little wild. And uh, Blofeld tries to sell Domino to a bunch of Arabs. Okay, awesome. And then the horse, the horse, they jump, they ride the horse and jump off into the water. That was pretty crazy. I like that. That was a good little little change of pace. But, um, gosh, you keep talking about stuff, and and I, I wrote in my notes. <laughs> it took me two days to watch this. I said, resuming this movie on the second day, I remembered nothing about it. And now you're like telling me, and I'm, I don't remember anything about this movie. It made no lasting impact on me. So a, f- a fun fact to remember about this movie, one of my favorite favorite little fun facts is um, that it, the reason it's called Never Say Never Again, you know the story behind this? I do, but you should tell the folks at home. Yeah, so Sean Connery famously said when, when his wife um, asked him if he would be in another Bond movie, he said never. Like, uh, and um, so... Like that, those were his words. I will, I will never. I think the direct quote was, "I will never play James Bond again." Like, like in no uncertain terms. And then, I guess he had to eat crow in a way, but in a way not because he got like a bunch of money. To yeah, do this, it, so. it was his uh, wife who suggested <laughs> the title "Never Say Never Again." Yes, um, his wife suggested the title. The original. Do you know the original name of the film before "Never Say Never Again"? Thunderball 2? <laughs> Thunderball, Thunderball 2 Electric Boogaloo? No, worse. James Bond of the Secret Service. So that that uh I think that just kind of seems like a giant middle finger to Broccoli and and Oh, Salt, totally. Right? No, no, it's like if like, we get to use the James Bond name, we're going like to use the James it, Bond. Right. Yeah, we're getting our money's worth. Which is why the the word the name Bond is uttered more in this movie than in any other. A Bond movie. Yep. <laughs> I think that's a fun fact, too. Oh, my God. Um, Mr. Bean is in this movie, yeah, Sean. I wrote that. I what literally have Mr. Bean in all caps with an exclamation point. <laughs> Mr. Bean. Great. 
I was like, what the what hell is, is he doing in this? Ro- yeah. The great Rowan Robert Atkinson. A- Rowan. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. Pretty much as Mr. Bean. I I, I thought yes. when I saw this, I was like, is this like a like a crossover that I forgot about? Because he shows up and he's he's like he acts like Mr. Bean. Like he's he's a, an idiot, basically. And uh he's shouting his name, right? He's like, Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond, like across the harbor. And just being a being a dummy. Well, this was one of his first movies, believe it, was. it or not. Yeah, and you can kind of see him like developing like a silly persona. Like he's like looking around corners and stuff and being just being being a goofball. Mr. Bean. <sighs> that was funny. Um you know what? I do have to say, there was a bright spot in this movie, Matt, for me. Can you guess what it is? Uh, a, a, the one thing in this movie I would say was outstanding. I know exactly what it is, Sean. It was that video game duel when J- when Bond <laughs> fights Blofeld with the <laughs> with the little the little handheld controllers on this and it's like a 80s video game oh, or like that that was another thing i wrote, I wrote 1980 horrible. 1980s equals video games because not Sean, only do almost, they play that they walk through the room asleep. with all of the arcade cabinets as well at, at yes. this like fancy party at this fancy casino there's all these arcade cabinets right right well because it's the 80s so yeah um it's i don't know 60s is drugs 70s is disco 80s is video games video arcades games, sure and that game so, did not look fun I do want to be very clear. That looked very hard to play no. and not fun at all. It looked extremely stressful because every time you like lost, you'd get shocked. Yeah. And the shocks would just increase. I thought that sounded really – but there was no te- – I didn't sense any tension at all. I actually – I almost fell asleep during that scene. It was so boring and lo- that that went on for too long. Well, and you know Bond's going to win in the – you know, it's and like, oh, and it's – this is what killed Bond finally, you know. If it was like a if – if he – if Blofeld had been playing that game with like – domino or with like a like a side character that you think like has a real chance of dying then it would be a little more a little more tense but Mm -hmm. i i knew that they were both gonna be fine so actually matt the one thing i loved in this movie was our main villain for the movie max maximilian largo largo yes i thought the guy who played him was very good i liked him a lot as a James Bond villain. Really? I thought he was a good mix of of creepy and confident and seeming smart, but also doing evil things. Um, I really, really liked him in this movie. The star of the movie for me was him. Good. I, yeah, I thought, I thought he did a fine job. Nothing bad to say about him. Yeah. Uh I thought personally, I thought that horse that jumped into the water was the star of the movie, but that was I mean, awesome. Can't they used a real that. horse for that, you know. Which I don't think you could do today. No, I think they, they have laws they against that. The, they had to show the part where he swims away and like doesn't he's not hurt, so everybody would nobody they didn't would drown that horse. That. They they did use a real circus horse. That was that was like his oh. his trick that he had been trained to do was like jump in the water. So I guess that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, an obvious stunt double for for both Bond and Domino on that one too. Didn't want old man Connery to break a hip, I guess. This is so yeah, radically unrelated to what we're talking about, but I just learned this fact the other day and I have got to share it. Go for it. You know the uh Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie? Of course. There is a scene in that movie where Veruca Salt is uh in the room with all the squirrels and the squirrels are breaking the nuts. 
Yeah, well, in the you're talking about the book, right? No, the movie. So the you're Tim, talking about the Tim Burton, the Tim Burton one, right? Because uh, I was going to say in the original, the original movie, there it's the egg, it's the goose, the geese, right? right? With the eggs, yeah, right. No, the but new in the one. book and in the Tim Burton movie, it's the squirrels, yeah, right. And mm-hmm. they and they they check they check the nuts and they break them and they check the nuts and they break them. Did you sure. know, Matt, that those are not CGI squirrels? Those are real squirrels. That they took squirrels, newly born squirrels, like twenty of them. And train them from birth to do one thing. Take nuts, check them, and crack them. Sean, that's not true. And I swear to God. Now I'm the calling part, you out on this. The part You're in the trying movie, to like, you want me to be like, oh, wow, really? Dang. No. Even I, I, I couldn't make this up. Now, the part in the movie where she's carried away by I'm the squirrels, bullshit. that was CGI. But the, but the actual squirrels you see in that room cracking the nuts. Why would they do that, Sean? I, why would they, I don't why, know. Why wouldn't that's they just crazy. make them in from the computer? It doesn't make any sense. But they literally – and it took them like – the squirrels, it took them like 12 weeks. They had to do it like months in advance because they had to take newly born squirrels and train them to do it. Sean, they, that's not true. This that's is, not real Google thing. it. It's a million percent true. Million percent. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's so off topic, but I learned that the other day, and I'm like, that is insane. I would check your sources no, on that. I think somebody's trying are, to somebody's trying to fool you on this one. My sources are solid. Um, Sounds like a little bit of fake news to me, but no, this is the real deal news. Um, Matt, I'm just trying to think of anything else with this movie. Uh, I did write down uh, at one point in the movie, she, um, what was the pilot's the Air Force guy's name, the brother who gets killed, uh, Jack, uh, Captain Jack, who right. gets that creepy eye. Yes, that that definitely was very in the weird. Original, right? uh, that was but in a... do you remember how he gets killed in the movie? In in this Thunderball in, or yes. in the real Thunderball? In, in, no, in this one. In this Thunderball, uh, doesn't he get like garroted with a no she can wire or something? No, she tosses a snake. Oh, into his right. moving car, which yes. causes him to crash it and explode. That was Which is up. the w- dumbest way and to dumb. kill somebody. Yes. I wondered, when I watched that, I wondered if that was some kind of callback to, like, I don't know, it's my imagination probably, but if it was like some kind of callback to, like, Roger Moore era Bond, like, Live and Let Die was the first thing I thought of. Oh, yeah. The, Very snake-heavy snake movie. I don't know if that was some kind of, like, it was crazy. allusion to that. I don't know. Um, it was weird and, and crazy and unnecessary, but so was this movie. So what'd you think about that missile pen, Sean? If I were to give you a pen and, 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 uh, and I were to say that this is a Q tech weapon that has a, a missile attached to it when you prime it, what would you, how would you use that in your movie? You're the director. First of all, I don't – was that in this one? I don't remember that at all. You don't remember the missile pen? So, okay. Essentially, they give him – Q gives him this missile pen in in the beginning of the movie. And I think they forgot. I think the the writers genuinely forgot that they had given Bond this, this tech. And they realized that every tech that Q gives Bond – like the, the rule – is that every everything he gives him he has to use like oh, it has course. to get used in the movie at some point and i think they forgot toward the end so they were like shoot let's make a scene where bond has to use the missile pen and so what he does is when the girl the crazy girl the one that that murders uh, domino's brother Fatima blush yes there you go um she 
has Bond cornered and is about to shoot him. And she says, before I shoot you, I want you to write down that I am the best lover in the world or the best lover you've ever had or something like that. So Bond is about to write it or he like takes out a, like a he takes out like a scrap of paper that I guess he found, finds on the floor and he's going to write it in pen. And but before he writes it, he, he fires the missile and kills her. And I, I genuinely think they forgot about they, – they, they were like, how are we going to use this, this pen missile? Well, we gave him a pen missile. Let's figure out how he's going to use it. And, um, and, and so that's what, that's what he does. I mean for my money, I think a very easy way they could have uh, put it in the movie. Um, they could – when he's rescuing Domino from the, from the Arab slave traders, I think he could be like writing a check or something. Like he could disguise himself as one of them. <laughs> And then he pulls out, bless you. He pulls out like the uh, the pen missile, and then he like shoots it at a boat, like like Blofeld's passing on a boat, and he shoots it or something. Well, I'll say two things. One, I just rewatched it, and she explodes real good. Yes, um, she's like Wicked Witch of the West. Boom, just I, gone. I she's love nothing explosions. But, her shoes. Um, yeah. but second, I mean, this is the point in the franchise where they start running out of ways to get Bond out of being held at gunpoint. Like how many times in the Bond franchise has someone had him dead to rights, a gun to his face and has managed to not kill him. Like they're running out of ways to make that work. And so, so, and so they did this where it just, it makes in no universe. Does it make sense that he's able to get away with this? Just the bond universe. He should be D E A D dead. (laughs) Um, Matt, any final thoughts on never say never again? That's it. Good movie, that, bad that movie. That officially covers everything I have to say about Never Say Never Again. A perfectly fine movie. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, perfectly unnecessary, but yes. it's also just fine. That's the best way to put it. Unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's continue on. Uh, we, we're kind of jumping around in the timeline here, but... We're going all the way ahead to the mid-80s. Roger Moore stars in A View to a Kill, which we've covered previously on the show. And finally, he decides after seven films uh, to retire in his role. They look for a replacement. Uh, I love the story of how they got to the final actor. They originally offered the role to... Uh, I want to say Charles Bronson because I'm an idiot. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce, Pierce Brosnan. I don't know why I thought that. Pierce Brosnan, uh, who at the time was starring on the television series Remington Steel for NBC. Um, now, uh, Remington Steel had essentially been canceled at this point. It ran a couple seasons, um, but it wasn't doing very well. So Brosnan signs on to do James Bond, gets a lot of press and attention, and NBC all of a sudden says, hey, wait a second, there's a clause in your contract that we can make you do another season of Remington Steel. And so essentially just a few days before Brosnan is set to go make this movie, um, NBC pulls the rug out from under him, makes it come back. They only shoot five new episodes of Remington Steel before it gets canceled, um, but he can't be in it. And so they go all the way back to a man I think had been considered for basically every Bond opening since they've looked for actors, which is the always runner-up Timothy Dalton. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that, yeah, Dalton Dalton's the one that has been kind of waiting in the wings. Yes. Uh, famously, he, he himself turned down the opportunity um, to audition for uh, a previous Bond movie. I want to say 
it may have been on Her Majesty's. I mean, that would make sense. That's when they needed a bond. It was either yeah. on Her Majesty's or Live and Let Die. It was when they, I think it was the both. last time. Maybe it was both. But he he he. Uh, the reason he gave, um, he himself said, it was because he was too young. Uh, he said Bond should be a more old, older, more seasoned person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond is seasoned. He's a he's a uh, he's a guy that's you know that's been around, and and he felt he was too young to uh, to to portray him. And at the time, he was only like 23, 24 years old, so he would have been a little green. Um, but nevertheless, they they yeah, so they go with that perennial uh, waiting in the wings. Um, actor Timothy Dalton, and uh, yeah, what are your opinions on him, on him as Bond? Matt, what do you think my opinions are on Timothy Dalton as Bond? Sean, I can't guess your opinions. You've been no, you've had a great 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 record so far in this series of guessing my opinions. Okay, I'm. I just want to know what you think. For, I thought for my money, Sean, I think that you thought he was just okay. Just okay. <laughs> Matt? Oh, you know what? Knowing knowing you, you're probably going to say he was a phenomenal Bond and was like, he blew you out of the water and your expectations for him were very low, but he turns out he actually really impressed you. Matt, I couldn't have said it better myself. Damn. Exactly. Okay. Yes. I, I really enjoyed these <laughs> movies and I thought, uh, Living Daylights more so than License to Kill, uh, I thought Timothy Dalton just threaded that needle perfectly of what I look for in a bond a great mix of serious and funny and I thought it was a great bond I thought he was great I thought he was great I really enjoyed this Sean the reason the reason I that I went with that opinion is because it was the exact opposite of my own <laughs> but man you have to tell me because I don't know the answer to this how does the bigger bond community feel about Timothy Dalton is he Man, generally almost, liked or disliked? It's almost like this show is called Up for Debate or something, and we have to disagree <laughs> on on everything. Uh, in the in the greater Bond community, I think that Dalton is generally considered underrated. Okay. Actually, the the true Bond fans, many of them, think of of uh, License to Kill as the quintessential Bond movie. Uh, surprisingly enough, because as we'll get to when we talk about it, it was the least, the least financially successful Bond film of all time. Mm-hmm. It made the least money, still to date, holds that record for least financial, financially successful Bond film of all time. Yep. However, many, many of the of the traditional Bond uh, fans consider it the best, like the best Bond. Um, for many reasons, we'll get into when we talk about License to Kill, um, but. But the Dalton, yeah, the Dalton name is usually thrown around to be like underrated, underachieved, um, not really well appreciated or well well accepted, generally forgotten about. Kind of like Lazenby. Um, at least that's the way that I feel about in the Bond community. However, I I won't say that I disliked um, Dalton as Bond. I don't really. Spoiler alert. I don't. I don't really dislike any of these Bond actors. Like I don't vehemently think that, you know, I don't cringe when, when um, I watch any of their movies. I don't think that they don't deserve the role. I think they all play a different, they play their own version of Bond, Mm -hmm. which I think they all do really well. That being said, 
for my money, my take on it, I think he was the weakest of of the Bonds, just from from my own standpoint. I think he was helped greatly by the writing of these these two movies, both Living Daylights and License to Kill. Um, more specifically, the latter. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I didn't think he was didn't really do it for me in terms of. If I had to rank all of them, I would probably Whoa, put hey, Dalton now, last. Well, we don't want to spoil that yet. We got no, a lot more movies no. to go, and I'm not going to rank mine because I haven't seen many of the other guys. But what I I think what it comes down to, and I get why people wouldn't like him. What it comes down to for me is the difference between Timothy Dalton and the other Bonds. When you look at Roger Moore, Sean Connery, they go at one speed. From start to finish of each film, they are the same guy. They have the same tone, they have the same mannerisms, they're the same guy. And you're right, maybe some of this is the script, but I also think some of it is his acting, where he has different speeds. Where you'll see him, there, there was a, a great moment in the movie where, uh, with with Kara, he, he, he lies about who he is, he pretends to be a different guy, and he has a bit of a different personality when they're at the carnival, and then he goes and sits with Saunders, and he's a completely different guy. And, and, and... The thing I like about Timothy Dalton, and I do feel confident in saying this, is that of every man that has I've seen played James Bond, he is the one I believe could actually be a legitimate, real-world, normal spy. Yeah, you're... Um, now, does that make an exciting movie? I don't know. Your, your, your take on that, I, I've heard... Yeah, I've heard... I've definitely heard uh, Bond fans kind of agree with that sentiment. Yeah, it, it's definitely... I th- I would say it's absolutely valid, what you're saying. I would say that's totally... I could see it, too. I mean, I, I for my money, I think that... I think that Dalton as Bond is... It works. Just something about him works. He's vicious. He's aggressive. He's also... Um, like, you, you, you do generally believe that he could kill someone and and like he's a he's a hardcore assassin like but he's also char he has the bond charm but i I, just i don't know what it is i think maybe it's his delivery on the the lighter aspects like the funnier parts i he doesn't do i don't think he quite lands the jokes as much as as much as a more or a uh, even a Brosnan. I thought Brosnan did oh he's got great a fine job on the on the comic yeah comic delivery i thought he was a Great timing. And then, of course, Connery is Connery. He's got the, the charm down. It was also one of those things where, and, and we talked about it on the show with Moore and Connery, where, like, why do these women keep falling for this guy? Like, it's insane. How do these women fall for this guy? And then you watch Dalton in these films. First of all, he doesn't have, like, a zillion women falling after him. It's usually just one. But I'm like, I buy it. Like, it's not insane that a woman would find this dude attractive and interesting. I mean, he's not, no. like, a womanizer or a dick. <laughs> or or clown or anything like that. So not perfect by any stretch. I just thought this take on Bond was something I really gravitated towards. And okay. something and then when you talk about uh Dalton versus Daniel Craig, which again, yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead, Craig is too serious for me. I have big issues with Craig, not to play my hand, but this is the right amount of sort of serious spy stuff. I don't need a fully depressed bond. I need just like a serious bond. Yeah. 
Okay. But we'll um, get we'll get to Daniel Craig. Yeah, I I I now see I had a I had a contradictory opinion I think when I was younger pre pre my rewatch days where I would have put Lazenby ahead of Dalton. Mm-hmm. Or would I or rather I would have put Dalton ahead of Lazenby, but but I don't know. Um as of here I I, I guess maybe my maybe my stock in Lazenby went up whereas my stock in Dalton just kind of stayed the same, but I thought he did a fine job. Like I yeah. said, I um, he is very believable. If you want to say believable, Bond, yeah, I, I think that Dalton Dalton is definitely up there for sure. Well, and and let's get into these two movies, starting with The Living Daylights, uh, coming out in 1987. Uh, directed John Glenn is back. This is his fourth Bond movie, um, and it ends up being uh, relatively successful. Makes 191 million dollars at the box office. Um, I do want to quickly mention, I thought the theme song by AHA was was great. I know not everyone has that opinion, but um, I really liked it. Um, the <sighs> I agree with you, Matt. I think this film in particular has a dynamite script. Mm. I think this film is really interesting and well-paced, and I like the sort of mix of locations and I like yeah I, I this was I, um yeah yeah this was definitely a I I called it original no yes. copying no yes. influence nailed it this was original 100% um, what I mean by no influence is like a lot like Moonraker Star Wars um live and let die Black exploitation films. Um, was the one where they did a lot of karate and martial arts. The Spy oh, Who Loved Me. Uh, no, yeah, or, no, Man no. with the Golden Gun. Thank you, Man with the Golden Gun was was just straight up like martial arts, yep. kung fu style. This one was its own. I think this is really where you start, and I think that it's a trend that I think continues. Um, from this point on, where the Bond movies just stand out on their own, mm-hmm. they're not really like. Like even with with Never Say Never, which wasn't a canonized Bond film, but it's still um, it's still you saw the the video games in it. It's like okay, well, what are the kids into these days, kind of thing. But I think this is really where it starts to be like Bond movies are just like Bond movies. And it's like we're not gonna we're not gonna like mesh it with anything else. So it was it was original, yeah, original script, believable, extremely believable script. Um, I felt like this this the um, inspiration for this really came from like real spy stuff at the time. And it's not to say that you like while you didn't let like fictional things influence the movie, you still had had factors like the Cold War slowly ending. And the aftermath of that, and the two Russian, the Soviet generals going back, and the Mujahideen yeah. in Afghanistan, which was a big part of the plot. Like that was all, that was all like culturally relevant, but without it being like too fictiony or gimmicky, which I liked. I thought yeah. it was good. I thought this was one of the better Bond girls too. Yes, Miriam Diabo as Kara, mm-hmm. the uh, cellist. 
Um, one, one thing I did write in my, she had a terrible haircut in this movie and I, and I, and I, and I wrote, I'm pretty sure they gave Kara that haircut just to hide the fact that the actress wasn't really playing the cello in the cello scenes. Um, cause it's literally, it's big hair that like hides the face really well. So you couldn't tell so it was a, a, a smart, a musical stunt double. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I thought she was really good. I thought, um, Joe Don Baker as Brad Whitaker, the American arms dealer, I thought was like funny but not crazy over the top yep i thought that was played pretty well um the generals were good you know there was a lot to um a lot to really like in this movie yeah i thought Um, yeah go ahead i thought that the the was it just me or was it was it a little did it seem like the scenery was a little dark in certain places like the lighting i don't know yeah oh a lot of it was set at night yeah, like more, so, more so than past films, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's what it has in common with Diamonds. We talked about Diamonds Are Forever being kind of a dark, visually a dark movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what else? That was well, kind of... I was, was yeah, going to say, I liked... I thought the stunts were pretty good in this. I really yeah. liked... I guess it. I guess you would call it the final stunt where um, the bag of the giant net of drugs is hanging out of the back of the plane, and the men are holding on to the net, and they're and they're kind of fighting, and it's like not see. It's like real guys hanging out of a plane. Like it, it was like a Tom Cruise type stunt where it's, you know, absolutely insane. And you're like, I can't believe they did that. And I was watching it. and I'm like, wow, this is. This is really exciting, and this scene had a lot of, um, I thought, a lot of really good um, stunts and stunt work. Uh, the stuff in the air, the um, the winter chase that just keeps getting more ridiculous the longer it goes on. Um, <laughs> even the uh, even the opening bit where they're coming down the mountain and he's on top of the jeep, which is getting shot up um, during the sort of failed training exercise. Um, I I thought the stunt work was really good in this. Yeah. Very well done. Um, yeah, that's the living daylights. Um, I thought it was a good, it was a good, um, we'll say like comeback for the Bond franchise. I mean, you kind of wonder like where they're going to go from, um, from here. What was the last, the last canon? Bond film before this one, uh, a view before to a kill this one was a view to right a view to a kill. Um, that was kind of like I, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like in that one as as good as cool as the villains acted. It was like the writing needed needed some work. It, it's almost like they they self correct these movies. It's kind of kind of eerie but cool. Like you have if one movie's too silly or goofy, like immediately the next movie is going to be super serious and like spy-esque. And, and I think it's really been that way since, since Connery's bond, like people reacted to from Russia with love as like too realistic. So Goldfinger is like a little more sillier or lighthearted or, or edgy or something. And, and they, they really do self-correct in a lot of ways. And I think this one did a, did a good, a fine job of that coming from a view to a kill where, um, I think the the main issue was was like it, it it's it's a believable plot but 
uh, it, it just seemed like like it was the de- it was kind of like the downslope of of the Roger Moore era. We needed like a fresh new Bond, and yep. and uh, yeah, Dalton delivered it here. Yeah, we'll we'll see it again when uh, Brosnan transitions to Craig. I mean, the, these the when you change actors, when you change decades, you know, for me, Timothy Dalton is as much as uh, Roger Moore kind of slid into the eighties. Um, you know, Timothy Dalton really is the Bond of the eighties. I mean, this was what the t- your eighty seven, eighty nine for License to Kill. Um, it really is a, a testament to the time, and you see sort of the 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 way it's shot. Uh, certain elements of the film that are very reflective of the time. Um, yeah. What do you think of, um, what do you think of bond actors when they, when they make self referential statements to the fact that they're new, like just because this is the first Dalton film. Yeah. We could talk about this. Like when they make like a self referential comment to that, them being like a new bond. I think they're okay. I think it can be overdone. Um, I think for the most part, I'm, I'm good with them as, as long as you don't get too cheesy. You know, I mean, well, cheesy, I guess that would be a a good word for what Lazenby says in the beginning of on her majesties. If you remember the opening, um, it's shot with like the camera behind somebody, like just some guy and he's running and like, chasing after this girl in a car. You don't know who the guy is. Um, she runs out into the ocean to try to drown herself. Such a weird scene. Yeah. Very odd. And then all of a sudden it's revealed that, okay, this is, this must be bond. He introduces himself as bond, James bond to the girl that he saves. The girl all of a sudden runs off. And then he, he basically (laughs) turns to the camera and says, this wouldn't have happened to that other fellow. Right. Yeah. A little much. I think that's I I didn't I didn't really care for that line in that movie and I'm glad that they didn't do it here with Dalton like self and like that's the thing is he he kind of just slides seamlessly right into the new Bond role even with more you had the he orders like a a brandy or something like just to like set himself apart yep um and I mean I think like as an audience we know it's not the same Bond actor but um. I don't think it has to be as announced or as like, you know, direct as as that scene made it well, out to be. The, there, there's, there's another great example from On Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service where um, after he basically says, I'm still going to go after Blofeld, hey, your badge and your gun type scene. Um, and he goes into his office, which, by the way, I love that Bond has an office. How often do you think that gets used? Um, but in the office, in the background of the office and on the desk are a bunch of the gadgets from the previous movies. Like that's a little more subtle. That's kind of a thing you, you pause the film and you kind of look at and admire. That's an Easter egg. Yeah. Yes. But you can't wink at, you know, you can't wink at the camera. That's a little, a little bit overkill. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Um, anything else to say? Yeah. Yeah. There's just one small note, uh, something that I really enjoyed in the film. Uh, I believe it or not of all the bond movies we've done, this is the one I've taken the least notes on, which tells you how much I was engaged with the movie. But when they are at the carnival, um, and bond meets with Sanders and they put the bomb Saunders and they put the bomb and then Saunders gets killed by the exploded sliding glass door that slides into him so hard. It explodes him. Yep. 
I it was one of those where I just scream at the screen. No, what? Like, <laughs> that was I love when these movies do the over the top kills, like the snowblower. Like we're going to talk about one in the next movie um, as well. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was really fantastic. So I enjoyed that. Mm. Other than that, no, I I don't really have much to say about this other than I really enjoyed it. And yeah. I thought uh, I thought he was good in it. I will say, as we transition to License to Kill, I thought this was the better of the two. Okay. Which I know is not everybody's opinion. Because um, they are well, different movies. Uh, License to Kill, the 1989 film, grossing $156 million at the box office. Timothy Dalton is back for his second film. He is joined by John Glenn for his final uh, directorial uh, Bond film. And this time... Bond is out for revenge. Indeed. Fun fact, the first Bond film shot entirely outside the UK. Wow. Um, this movie had an original title that it was, uh, man. I know I the re- answer. I was just reading about it. What was the original title for it? It was License Revoked. License Revoked. Now, um, alle- or allegorically or, uh, like, uh, anecdotally, that's the word. That's the real word. Anecdotally, the reason that they changed the title was, I, I heard, I heard, I don't know if it's true or a, a rumor, but I heard it was because they, um, the directors feared or the, the producers feared that, um, the, an American audience would not be aware of what the word revoked meant. So they changed it to license to kill for us, us Americans. That's interesting. Don't know our vocabulary much. Wikipedia says, yeah, um, the name was changed during post-production due to American test audiences associating the term with driving. Oh, like license revoked. Yeah. I I don't know how true that is, but. Okay. I buy that. Apparently that's the license to kill revoked. Which is what happens in the movie. So, which do you think is a better title, "License Revoked" or "License to Kill"? Definitely "License to Kill." See, I disagree. Really, "License"? I like, I like revoked? "License Revoked" because it's because it's "License to Kill" is just like a phrase from the movie. It doesn't mean anything, but "License Revoked" has some action to it. You know, it, it says it says this movie's different. Like all those other bonds, they had the license. This guy, they've revoked his license. I always had trouble remembering if it was license to kill or licensed, licensed to, to kill. kill. Yeah. Which, which one is it officially? It's there's no D it's just licensed to it's kill. Just, that's what I thought. Yeah. Licensed to kill, so, which is still a good title. I thought it would have ma- made more sense for there to be a D at the end. Like James Bond licensed, licensed to, to kill. kill. But yeah. um, anyway, that this movie, um, this movie was really good, Sean. I, I, I kind of I have to disagree with you. I think this movie no. was the better of the two. We are like left and right. <laughs> Look at us, like real debaters here, disagreeing on stuff. Well, everyone out there, enjoy this moment because next week when we do uh, Pierce Brosnan, is just going to be both of us saying, "Oh, we really liked it. Oh, we really yeah. liked it." Um, I think you might be surprised. Ooh, we'll see. All right, I'm. Ex- I haven't watched them, so we're going to find out. Yeah. Uh, I liked this movie a lot. Do not get me wrong. I just thought Daylights was slightly better. But, I mean, you want to talk about a different Bond movie. Now we're re- they took what was different in Daylights and they doubled down. Uh, because this movie opens with the with Felix Leiter's wedding 
in Key West, uh, and he and his wife are killed. Yeah, yeah. That oh, this was this was a sad. This was a crazy opening. I I, I had to keep as I was watching the movie. I had to keep like double checking if it was the right movie because it was dark. Oh, it was, this is such a dark movie. This is the this is the darkest. I think this is the darkest chapter of the timeline. Like, dang. Yeah. I mean, Skyfall goes some places. I guess that's more like brooding and sorrowful darkness. This is like, like self doubt almost. This is this is more like. Oh my God! I can't believe this is happening in a Bond movie. It's this is more, like wrathful. It's like, worse than the time his wife got murdered. Which yes, is crazy to think about. It is. Now, I did mention before that this was the least financially successful Bond film of all time. Do you have any any um, any uh, idea? Like, if we, we want to speculate here. We, we want to play like movie uh, movie marketer. Why why do we think this was the least grossing? Uh, I think I have there are the a couple answer. Ideas. Yeah. But that's because I read the Wikipedia page. So yeah, that's there are definitely of... theories for sure. I read I read about it as well. The the, the primary theory that I've seen is um, it's just simple simple competition at the box office. That was the same year: Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop Two, RoboCop, um, all coming out at the same time. Uh, what else came out in eighty uh, around that time? Shoot, let me see if I can find that list. Well, you had. Um, oh, it was it was uh, released along. I'm sorry, ignore what I said before. It was released alongside Lethal Weapon Two, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right. starring say, Sean Connery, a, yep. and Batman, <laughs> which went on to be one of the highest grossing films of all time. Yes. So it it. I Batman think it was, literally came out like the same week and it was obliterated stiff, everything. The stiff competition. Combined with with um, Dalton, who had never hadn't I don't think at that point had you could disagree with me on this one, but I don't think he had established himself. As oh, Bond. definitely not. Oh, definitely not. No, no, I strongly agree. One, he only had one other Bond movie under his belt. Wasn't that well known as an actor um, outside of the UK? Um, I, yeah, I think that's why it got clobbered in the box office. I think simply because of that. This was a great movie, though. This was. Um, as sad and as dark as it was, uh, somehow I wrote, yeah, somehow even darker, somehow even darker than, um, than on her majesty's secret service. Somehow crazy. It's It's a strongly dark film. I mean, um, I actually was super curious. So I was looking up, um, it opened fourth the weekend it premiered in 1989. Not first, not second, not third. Lethal Weapon opened at number one. Uh, Batman at number two. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at number three. And License to Kill at number four. That uh, was the 36th highest grossing movie that year. Um, yeah, you know, gosh, it is a, it, this is really is the ultimate turn in your badge and your gun, you're off the force movie. Um, yep. We got the friend murdered, quits the service, gets his revenge. Um Yeah, where do you want to start? I don't even know where to start so, on this one. A lot went down. So this is actually the the only the first and to my knowledge only time that a uh, an actor who played Phoenix Leiter in a previous movie reprises his role. Mm. This is the same actor from Live and Let Die who comes back and is Phoenix Leiter again. Uh, he gets married. Bond attends the wedding and stuff. 
um, immediately after the wedding, uh, his his kind of his past ca- catches up with him. This this drug lord from uh, a fictional Latin American country called Isthmus, right? Yeah, um, Sanchez. Name, yeah, his the, the the guy's name is Sanchez. I just wrote Sanchez is ruthless, and I put it in oh, yeah. italics. Ruthless, like uh, so. This Sanchez uh, presumably rapes and murders his uh, uh, lighter's wife, or has his henchmen do it, um, while uh, simultaneously feeding light Phoenix lighter to Felix lighter. I keep calling him Phoenix lighter. Phoenix Wright is the the attorney, ace attorney. Felix lighter feeds him to sharks, like. Like living sharks. Yeah, what is with these and bad says, guys and sharks? He says, the lighter says something along the lines of like, I'll see you in hell. And Sanchez says, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Meaning like, he's going to be, he's going to live through this, but he's going to be like, basically on, on the, on the, like he'll wish he died basically. And that's pretty much what happens. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, Bond discovers him, uh, in, in his like barely alive state. Well, first, first he finds leg. the wife. He found the wife. Yep. Dead. With, with and, like, and, and there's like blood spattered and stuff. I mean, it's All like the they're yeah. bloody footprints. Like you, you don't usually see a lot of blood in these movies. No, that's true. For as, as violent as they are. Yeah. There, there's, there's not a whole lot of blood. It was a very bloody scene. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, we, we, when we're first introduced to Sanchez in the pre-credit sequence, when he um, is is this the pre credit sequence where he he catches his lover with like another man, so he has the man's heart cut out. Yes, yes, yeah. He says something like, "Do you have his heart or something?" And I, then I'll have it too. And he like orders his henchman to presumably to like cut his arm his 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 heart out of his body. Yep. And while they're doing that, while he's like screaming, he starts beating his his girlfriend, like whipping her with like a whip. It's bad. It's like. It's it's some some dark stuff. Oh yeah, it's messed up. Um, yeah, Benicio del Toro's in this movie, Sean. Yeah, who is he in this movie? I don't. He's basically a henchman. He's one of Sanchez's top yes, hen- top, okay. top goons, basically. Yep. He's there to intimidate. He intimidates Bond in the uh, in the uh, bar in the the bar scene when uh, he goes and meets the contact there. Um, I, I like the, I really like the direction. I think this is also super original. These two movies, these two Dalton movies were probably the most original of of the Bond franchises. I mean, you, you really had that, that moment where Bond leaves and you don't, you, you genuinely wonder if he's ever going to come back. I, at least I would have, if I was in the theater, like, is this just going to be the start of a new saga of bond where he just operates independently from mi6 and yeah, not, is not, just kind of his own guy like i i liked it i liked it i don't think it really i think it it kind of goes places similarly in skyfall but it doesn't it definitely doesn't get as close as as it does here this is like way over the edge and now how do they get him back they they he's about to assassinate sanchez right in in like a one of his bars or casinos, he's going to like shoot him. He's going to like snipe him from a window. And then the, the Chinese guy. Yes. The Hong Kong guy who was undercover trying to get into Sanchez's operation stops him. He was going to shoot him through the window at the casino. 
yes, and he and he stops him, and Sanchez takes him back to the lair to like his lair because Sanchez thinks that Bond saved him, like rescued him. Yeah, he's gonna like thank him and stuff. Um, and then I guess things just just kind of escalate from there. Eventually, he he does his Bond thing. Yeah, can but, we, can we talk about Sanchez's mm-hmm. plan? Yeah, for let's a talk about his plan because it's kind of I I I think I understand it. So Sanchez has the president of this fictional country under his belt and he uses the power he's amassed to have a massive drug dealing operation throughout the entirety of, I believe he argues like the entire Americas. And that's why he's bringing in the Asian constituency to try and start to sell drugs over there. And the way he does it Um, it's all run by Truman Lodge, who is his kind of accountant guy who actually I thought was really good in this. Um, he uses a TV televangelist to help place, again, I don't know how this is easier than doing it in other ways, but to place the orders. When they get the orders, they dissolve the cocaine in gasoline. Gasoline, right. Which they can then easily undissolve in gasoline, and and I, I love when he's like, "And you get to keep the gasoline," and I'm like, "He's a good salesman." Yeah. Um, it seems very convoluted to me. Yeah, it's it's one of those. I think it's one of those villain plans that requires a lot of thought. I think they they did try to go a more realistic. I mean, I think this is more realistic than radioactively activating all of the world's supply of gold. Oh, no. I mean, it's easier or, than going to a space or, station, um, but, you know. Yeah, we're going in, yeah, or capturing uh, satellite and bringing, or whatever gold, the man with the golden gun was trying to accomplish. Um, but I think this is, while his plot is a little ex- extravagant, it's a little, uh, a little decadent, I think that they kind of have the the trimmings of of a real like a real criminal threat. They kind of have the outline of it of like a real criminal syndicate. Well, yeah. In in Sanchez's drug cartel. Well, it's like a El Chapo or or you know, I mean it's similar yeah. things have really happened. Right. Right, exactly. They they do have some real why my thing is I mean I get why they had to introduce the lighter situation because they needed a, they needed a reason or a motivation for bond to to leave the uh the force and also they're working with the source material this was a book that um they're basing this off of uh but damn they made it gruesome that was like i mean i guess it, maybe it was that way in the book although i think i read i did read they took the shark part from Live and Let Die, the novelization of Live and yeah. Let Die. Oh, no, this was a bit of a Frankenstein movie. I mean, they kind of yes. cut and borrowed from a few things. Bits and pieces. But, I mean, I liked it. Overall, I really liked this movie. Well, It, it uh, made a, made an impression, for sure. And, and you want to talk about Bloody. Uh, one of my favorite uh, scenes in the film was uh, Crest, um, who is sort of... How do you describe his... Uh, he's Sanchez's henchman. He, has, he operates Wavecrest Marine Research. He's got the boat... Uh, and Bond kills him by putting him in a decompression chamber. Oh, or Sanchez yeah. kills him. And his head literally explodes. Yep. In a scene yeah. I cheered at. And fun fact, and I learned this later, 
But that scene actually was shot. Uh, it says here, uh, Milton Crest's death used a prosthetic head, which was created by John Richardson's team. Uh, the result was so gruesome, it was shortened and toned down to avoid censorship problems. So somewhere there's a cut of that that's even more gruesome. <laughs> which I hope is on a DVD somewhere or something, because I would love to see that. I would I would love to see that, too. That, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty... That was pretty crazy. His head just like swells up and just pops totally like, a, like a balloon. Oh, it's great. Crazy. Yeah, uh, Sanchez does it because uh, he's that's the part where he's getting all paranoid and like. Well, worried, and Bond frames right? him for stealing the money. Yes. Yeah. 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 Bond. Right. And that's how Bond learns that. Like, and, and that through that and conversations he had with him, Bond learns that Sanchez values loyalty above everything else. That's right. Um, he, I wrote Bond uses psychology to beat the bad guy. He really does. Yes. He does. He uses psychology in very, this very like, few gadgets. There's some, but gadgets. not very, not very many. Um, Q is in this movie and I wrote that this is the best Q entrance since for your eyes only. How, how does he enter in this one? Remind me. This is where, uh, so Q I think he like creeps up on Bond or like sneaks up on him and Bond is like convinced it's one of Sanchez's henchmen. Mm. He like flips him over and then it's like is revealed to be to be Q. I think it's something like that. It was it was a good entrance. It was uh, I remember it being like like you really and, and the audience is like led to believe that this. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So they're in the this is how it really went. Just ignore what I what I said. I mean, I had I had half of it, but I missed the the funnier half of it, which was they're in the casino, right? The Sanchez's casino, mm-hmm. and um, Bond gets a message from the one of the tables, one of the dealers, and they say your uncle is here. He's worried about you, right? Yes, your uncle is here. He's worried about you, and so Bond thinks that something is up, and he thinks that this is a trap, and that that like somebody's. It has found him out, has exposed him. So he's like all paranoid and on edge. I'm pretty, maybe I invented the part where he flips him over, where he like flips him down or knocks him down or something. But I think there was something like that. And it turns out to just be Q. I yeah, like there's that. A later, there's a later part in the movie where Q does surprise him. So mm-hmm. you're, I think you're right. I, I thought it was an awesome idea to put Q in the field. Like we've been waiting for that. I think that's fun. And he does, he dresses up, he does the little undercover yeah. bits. I thought it, that was it, nice. It shows that Q is not just a company man. You know, he's he's also Bond's friend, well, like his true friend, which I, I kind of like. In sort of the later Roger Moore films, they get very antagonistic towards each other, which is kind of weird, and I don't care for that. And it was nice to see in this movie them working together. Yeah, there are other movies where I think where Q is just fed up with Bond. Yeah, because he destroys Especially his nice in stuff. Especially in the Brosnan movies, yeah, he's like, don't touch that, don't touch this, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, there's a part of that that goes with that. He invents these really expensive, nice devices and stuff, and Bond always seems to find some way to destroy them. You know, I, I really thought this was a real thinker's film, which very few Bond films are, but one of the things I really liked about it was the juxtaposition of Bond's personal vendetta against everyone else's real cases because at least two or three times in the movie he blows up real he blows up the hong kong investigation he blow we haven't even talked about pam bouvier um his sort of late love interest in the film um blows up her cia investigation 
um, he keeps screwing up other people's investigations in search of his own personal vendetta for Felix. And I like that because you actually see the real world consequences of what he's doing, which is so rare in these movies. And I thought it was really nice to see. It took him a couple times to finally learn the lesson. Like you can't do it on your own. You have to work together. And I thought the film sold it really well. So I did like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, in the end, uh, obviously Bond is he. He saves the day. The way that he, the way that he really, the way that he kills Sanchez, I thought was awesome. That was like I wanted to stand up and cheer. I forgot all about that. Um, in 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 my previous watch, you remember the way he kills Sanchez with the lighter? Yes, Sanchez covered in gasoline. The uh, Felix's uh, Felix's the, uh, lighter. Felix's, it's Felix's lighter. Light, Felix lighters lighter that he gave to Bond as a um as a as like a was it a, was it a wedding gift or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and it and and he lights you see and and it's a it's a callback to the a previous movie where he gives him that. I forget which one, but he gave him that in a previous film, and he and he maybe it was just earlier in this movie. That's possible. But was was he, he lights him up with that? I thought it was be great. Right, because was Felix in? Um, I can't remember if it was a callback or if it was just earlier in this movie. No, never mind. Um, well, actually, you want to talk about that whole final bit of the movie, but we have these tanker trucks full of gasoline, which virtually guarantees you an excellent stunt sequence. Um, mm. And there's big explosions, which are really great. And they do fancy. Tr- he drives the truck on the side, the semi truck on the side, which, by the way, is a real stunt. And a stunt driver oh. did that. There's no it's not it's propped nuts. up somehow. It's not it's they just they had a plan if they needed to. But the stunt driver just did it. Um he kills guys really excitingly. Um, and I thought, uh, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was fun to watch. Yeah. I think the one thing that really bummed me out at the end of the, so Bond has a bit of a love triangle going in this movie because he starts the movie with the romantic interest being Lupe, who is Sanchez's girlfriend. About halfway through the movie, we're introduced to Pam. Uh, his other love interest, then at the, he's flirting with both. He has sex with both. They kind of go back and forth. Then at the end of the movie, he's with Lupe and you're like, Oh, they're going to get together. And then at the last minute, at the last minute, he dumps her and goes to Pam. And I'm like, I just didn't like the love triangle aspect. Like at some point, which is weird because then at the end end of the movie, Lupe gets together with the president of the country. Yeah. Like, so I don't know why, why would they drag out the Lupe thing to the last minute? Like just, I thought that was another, they were, they were maybe toying with our expectations. Like, uh, it was one of those, like, will they, won't they? And, and it was a, I guess it was a charming or comical moment at the end when bond ends up going with with pam it's like oh like they they like she, she was all sad and bummed out a minute ago cuz she really fell for him there was also the part where lupe i see i part of me always thought that lupe was going to end up dead because like that's the part that surprised me more is that they didn't kill her off yeah. because she was living a dangerous life so either sanchez was going to was i thought was going to kill her or um, like finally just snap at the end and, and end her, um, or 
that Bond was going to be forced to kill her in some way because maybe she was like finally declaring her love for Sanchez and was like willing was like going to going to kill Bond. That's the way that I thought that I saw it going. Um, that's probably the way that I would have done it. Uh, I don't think that, that we really get anything. I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think we really get anything by having her live through the whole movie. Okay. You, it kind of defies the formula a little bit. Usually when you have uh, – you, you're going to have a couple of Bond girls. You have like two or three and only one of them is going to last till the end of the movie. Well, and the movie doesn't do a good enough job of selling – that it's definitely going to be Pam in the end, or it's definitely going to be Lupe. Like, at the last minute of the movie, I'm like, he has shown equal, plausible affection for both of them. So I don't buy when he dumps one to go to the other, because I'm like, he showed just as much interest in Lupe. Like, if throughout the movie it was like, Lupe keeps showing up, but he's really after Pam, and then at the end you think he's, oh, he should have gone with Pam, and then, oh, he goes with Pam. It wasn't okay. like that. It was like, I could buy either. Like, it, it's, it just, that part didn't click for me. Yeah, if I if this movie had a weakness, I would say that would be it's maybe its main flaw. Yeah, the love story is not the romance part is really not its strength. No, I, I agree. No, um, I agree. I think they kind of learned from they they learned from that in later Bond movies when they think when they when they have one when there's one Bond girl that gets introduced early on, usually she ends up being a villain. She ends up being working for. Working for the big bad. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, I, yeah, the, again, I thought this was an amazing movie. I, oh, another, another little, little nitpick I have is, so they, Lighter goes through this horrible traumatic experience of having his wife raped and killed like the day, the day after their wedding. Yeah. And, and having his leg eaten by sharks, literal sharks. But then by the end of the movie, he's on the phone with Bond and is like talking to him like, oh, everything's fine. Like I that would I think that would psychologically mess someone up like, oh, for, oh, like for beyond, sure. like anything I could imagine. I don't think that he, he he was just on the phone and was just like, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's going to be OK. Like my leg's broken, but it's going to heal. Like, no, you got ripped up by sharks like. God damn. And the like, woman you just married is dead. Is yeah. dead. Right. Like, hey, I heard you use that lighter. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like, that's what I felt like. He was like, knew it would come in handy. It was glossed everything's, over. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> glossed over for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I did want to mention uh, that the... I don't know if you remember. It's a stupid small details I remember in these movies, but uh, he has the CD with the information on it, and and uh, that he hides in the photograph, and Bond has to come back and get it at his at uh, Felix's house. And the CD drive he puts the CD in is about the size of a briefcase. It's massive for a regular size CD. I thought that was very funny because it was the late '80s, um, and CDs yep. were new. Uh. He also uses like an MS DOS style computer. Oh God, yeah, no. When, was... he, when he hacks in and to find out like uh, the story with um, with Sanchez's uh, uh, henchman. I also uh, briefly want to touch on the theme song of this one, sung by Gladys Knight. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Eric Clapton was asked to write and perform the theme song. Um, uh, well, it says here, uh, Vic Flick, 
who played lead guitar on the original James Bond theme and Eric Clapton were asked to write and perform the song and they pr- and they produced a theme to match the movie, but the producers turned it down and went with Gladys Knight's song instead. Um, the longest song ever to be used in a Bond film. Um, yeah. I thought it, I thought I really liked the song. I thought it was good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's up there. It's it's one of the more underrated ones. Much like this movie, very underrated, very good. So, um, anything more to say about? About uh, License to Kill. No. I, I, you know, again, it's funny. The better the movie is, the less I have to say about it. Um, and I it's, think yeah. Dalton's deliveries. Dalton's deliveries in these movies, the, the, both of these were great. Especially, I thought in this one, his delivery of the scene where he, well, first of all, where he discovers uh, Lighter and the wife. Uh, I thought it was an excellent delivery by Dalton. And the the anger in uh, his conversation with M when M revokes his license to kill it was it was extremely genuine and palpable, like that vengeful desire. Thought it was good. It was but believable. This is one of those things where I feel you have to separate the Bond from the script, right? Do you think if Roger Moore was handed this script, he could pull it off? No, I don't. I honestly don't. Because I, what about Sean Connery? Connery would would do it in a different way. I think he would be able to handle it, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't have this. I don't think it would have the same rawness. Like it wouldn't be as raw as Dalton. That's why I I could see I could never picture Connery in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I just don't think it's it's a Connery Bond movie. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that actually. I can't. I couldn't. I'm gonna disagree I a little bit. I I, I could. I think that would be an interest. It would be a different movie. I think it'd be an interesting movie. I re- It'd be I really interesting, do. but that doesn't make it good. Oh, I, I'm with you, but I'd watch it. Uh, no, but I think that's what's interesting about all the different bonds, and we're learning this as we go through these movies. Is that you know, we, it's like, oh, Connery is the sexy bond, and Moore is the funny bond, and Dalton is the serious bond, and you're like, but that's how the scripts are written for these guys. Like they're not they're making it up on the spot. Uh, Timothy Dalton is getting these scripts and he's playing them excellently. But it's to his skill and advantage. He's not a funny guy. He's not. A, no. He could not pull off. Roger Moore pulls off quips with the best of them. I think uh, Pierce Brosnan quips really well. Timothy Dalton is a more serious guy, so you give him a more serious Bond film, and he does a really good job. So I think it's just the mixing of those of the script and the actor that just works really well in these. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. But we only got two. We only got two Timothy Dalton movies. That's it. Yeah. I don't know what that was. I, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, I, I put my finger on the screen. I like leaned on it and it took a took a photo. Remember this moment. Yep. Um. So, anything else to say? What, what do you What do you have? Any thoughts there? I, you know, it's just again, this '80s is a really interesting era for Bond. You know, times are changing, uh, the world is changing, and Bond is changing. And it's, you know, License to Kill comes out in '89, and due to a combination of of lawsuits and and the financial performance of License to Kill and a few other things, we don't get another Bond movie for six years until '95's Goldeneye. Yeah. Um, and this, to me, it really is the the end of a of an Bond era. 
Sure. Not the only one, but it is the end of, of an era for sure. I mean, I think these two movies really do encapsulate something unique in Bond. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, the, I mean, we talked about today, all of the movies we talked about are like kind of the non-traditional bonds. And then there was also the one that wasn't really a bond, but it, it, it's a it's so sort of like a like a, a bond imitation. I guess. And, uh, yeah, uh, there, uh, my, my thing is that I'm learning so much through this, through this rewatch. Like I, I wouldn't have given any of these movies the time of day. Well, that's not true. I think I still, I think I still really liked, I actually, if you had asked me years ago, my favorite of all the four, when I was a kid, like watching these for the first time, I would have said never say never again. Oh, sure. Because I like, I like Sean Connery. Oh, it's a fun movie. He, you know, he was Bond. He's the best Bond. He's in it, so it must be good. But now, I think that might be the weakest of the four. And uh, I would, I would probably put um, either either one, Honor Majesties or License to Kill, as the best of the night. Um, just, just from well, Honor Majesties from a writing and pacing standpoint, uh, for the most part, and for uh, for uh, Lazenby's acting. And License to Kill, its merits being the just the realism, like the gritty realism of the of the movie and the villain, like both of them, excellent. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Matt, you really didn't end up selling me enough on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I think is a fine film, and I think does some really That's interesting we're, things. We're just gonna have to agree, and no, you're just gonna have to stay wrong I, on that one. I love when you change my mind. I encourage mm -hmm. it, but uh, I mean, definitely better than Never Say Never Again. I strongly agree. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion at the end of this Bond series, we'll rank the films at some point. Um, or at least share our top and bottoms. And, and Honor, you know, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is, is somewhere in the middle for me. It's not the worst Bond films by any stretch, but to me, it's not the best either. It's it's a it's a fine film. Um, and I really, like I said, I really, really enjoyed the Timothy Dalton ones much more than I thought I would because no one talks about them. And so right. I said, well, they must not be good. No one talks about them. And I think there are other reasons why people don't talk about them, not because they're bad, but just because of, well, a lot of things. But... I'm glad we got to cover them. This is what's great about going through the series. And Matt, next week, next holy week. smoke, are we going to have a hell of an episode? It's going to be quite an episode. We're going to do what? We're going to golden never enough tomorrow day. Uh, that was bad. <laughs> okay. Can I take another? Can we'll I take another? That. Can well, I take another swing? No, we have a whole week. You could workshop it. A I die not enough another day. Okay, a little better. Okay. We're, we're headed. We're getting. I'll keep there. workshopping it. No, we're doing Pierce Brosnan next week. We got four movies, right. ninety-five to two thousand two. Who boy? I've actually seen. Actually, I think I've seen three out of the four of these. Do you guess which one I haven't seen? Goldeneye. Correct. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That would be, because that's the one that would make the most sense for you to have seen. Yep. Uh, and these <laughs> movies are. I would, from my memory, I haven't seen them in many, many years. These movies are weird. Is how I I'm excited them. for him. So we'll, it's going to be fun. We'll have to talk about him. Yeah. We will be back next time with chapter six. So make sure you join us. Of course, our website. Uh, go ahead, Matt. I do have a quick pitch. Yes. yes. Um, pitch me. So Sean, I know we are, we are now more than halfway through the uh, James Bond journey. Thank God. Uh, that we have both taken. Yes. Uh, I came up with an idea and I want to pitch this idea to you on the show right here. Okay. Say no to it. You could say maybe you could say Matt. Hold the phone here. 
I, I this is something I want to call my agent about and really talk to my agent before I like make a decision. Oh, I'm not but committing to anything. But okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. All right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lob the pitch. I want to see if you want to hit it out of the park or if you want to take and and wait for I'll another bunt one. It. Here yes. it is. Here it is. Um, Sean Jennings. We've talked about all these Bond movies, okay? But what would, what would it be like to create one? Oh no, I knew you were going to say that. What would it be that? like to you write son a Bond of a bitch. movie? Sean and Matt write a Bond movie. Boom. Oh, no. That's the pitch. We've written we've written things before. Well, we this made is a why minor we league baseball team. We we wrote um We did we did TV commercials. We wrote T yeah, great TV commercials. Oh, okay. Excellent job. Um we we've made uh board a terrible board game we which I try to forget about. We 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 shopped a creative story. Uh I mean so there, why, there's why a not, reason we haven't Bond movie. There's a reason why we haven't done one of these creative challenges in a while and it's because the first couple of those we did were good and then the last couple we did were terrible. Yeah, but I mean you could say that of the Bond movies too. You could say like there's some good ones. There's some real bad ones, but and then there's whatever we make. I promise right. I will think about it. Okay, I'm that's why I said you could it. you could definitely talk about it. You could think about I it. Think I think we. I think you're going to end up agreeing to it. But well, you I'll could agree think to anything it. you say. You know why, man? Because the, <laughs> the the topics I suggest on this show are usually I I have a batting average very low of successful topics we've done. Most of the bad episodes were my idea. So when you suggest something. We usually do it for good reason. This is true. This is I think I suggested create a board game. Yeah, but I also didn't. I didn't really help. You should have stopped. That me. was just a tire fire. That oh, was man. I got to re-listen bad. to that. What that a disaster. should be one of the lost episodes. But you know, it's funny. I did have this idea the other night that at some point we should do a mini series where we pick like our five worst episodes and we re and we get a do over. We do a mulligan okay. and we do them I'm again and that. see if we can and see if they really truly were bad ideas or we were just having a bad night. Yeah. I'm I'm totally down for that. I think that. that would be funny. Mm -hmm. Um but that's for another time. We've still got a, we got eight more movies, Matt, which is crazy if you think about yep. it. Um so we'll be back next week with Pierce Brosnan. Uh if you haven't been joining us You've been missing out. Go to UpForDebate.tv and listen to the last couple chapters. We've been having a ton. By the time this is done, Matt, I'm not even kidding you. We're going to have like 14, 16 hours of content you can enjoy all about James Bond. So check it out there or subscribe wherever you get podcasts, um, video version on YouTube as well. And of course, you can follow us at UpForDebateTV on Twitter and emails, UpForDebateTV at gmail.com. If you follow us on Twitter, we also tweet updates on the Movie League as well. So you want to check that out there. Uh, as well, but that's going to wrap it up here tonight after this very long two-hour episode. Thanks, everybody out there. On behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. We appreciate you being here. We'll see you next time for a Brosnan-tastic episode of Up for Debate Presents. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.